last word standing is doing the commanding. Let's say it together. The last word standing is doing the commanding. So if you would turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy. Here it is. Sometimes you need those little markers that are on in your Bible that, that say 2 second, second Tim on them. Hallelujah. In chapter 2, verse uh, 15. Let's read it together. Verse 15. Ready, read. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay, let's point to ourselves and read it again. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So the important part in this verse for this message is rightly dividing the word of truth. The Amplified said, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillful teaching the word of truth. So the point here being is, is if he tells us to rightly divide the word of truth, it could be wrongly divided. Y'all know almost every, well, I guess every denominational issue that we have and every contrary faith that uses the Bible, the difference between them and us, since we have the same word, is always the rightly or the wrongly dividing of the word of truth. It's what you see when you look, what you expect, what you want it to say is what it is. So we would say, you and I would say, there's no error in the word of God. There is controversy, but that there, there's people that'll argue with you. There's people that'll argue with the fence post. I've talked to them. Not that I'm a fence post, but I've talked to them and they were acting like a fence post. So there was error there. There was things that weren't true. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, can you slip back there with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. It tells us about that, about rightly dividing the word of truth. Because do y'all know, we all know, there's lots of controversy about the word of God and what to believe, what's true. I talked to a, a Baptist a pastor way back in West Texas about this, about some things. And I've told you before about what he, he came up with 10 scriptures about how healing is unscriptural in the Bible. I, and you go, how could that be? How, how could there be that many? Well, he took them all out of context. I said he took them out of context. So there's no error in the word, but there is context. And here it tells us about that in chapter 10, verse 32. Uh, it says, give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. So here he's talking about three people groups. Now, uh, you obviously text or call people in a different way, depending on who they are. You'd call your boss at work different than you would take your wife out on a date and talk to her. It would be different, even though it would be you and, and you're talking. So context is everything. And you can make the Bible say anything, like I said, this man did. 
by taking it out of context, isolating it, and just taking something that's out of a bigger thought and making it say that. So there's, uh, there's three kinds of people that the Bible is talking to. And if you don't render it with context, you can make what's said to one people group, you can repeat that or apply that to the wrong people group, and you'd be totally out of context, and it would be as if it was error simply because of the context. So here he's talking about, first of all, he said to the Jews. Well, the Jews are, are people that, uh, in, in the strictly historical sense, that are not born again. But they have a covenant with God. We love the Jews. They have a covenant with God. And God spoke to them. Where did God speak to the Jews? It's called the Old Testament. He spoke to the Jews in the Old Testament. And before there was a New Testament... That's what he was speaking. But what made the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? It's called Jesus. Jesus necessitated a different people because uh, even the Gospels, the Gospels are completely speaking to people that aren't born again. There was nobody born again until Jesus went to the cross and paid the price and we, we became regenerated. So even the Gospels aren't speaking to you and me, but it's speaking to uh, an unregenerated people, and it's talking about the love of God. It's a type and shadow. He's telling about what's to come. So the New Testament is speaking to uh, uh, people that are born again. Uh, and then that would be the church of God. But in the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, God is also speaking to the Gentiles, people that uh, are not Jews, but they're not born again. And he's telling them in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about love. Jesus points to God and said, God is love and God loves you. And then he demonstrates that by going to the cross. And then we have the epistles or the rest of the Bible that tells us who we are and what we can do and what we have. That's what the New Testament, besides the Gospels, is all about. It's to you and me. But if you take something out of the Old Testament and uh, like saying uh, God killed somebody, they did bad things, so he killed them. Or he sent somebody in else to kill him. You'd go, well, that's in the Bible. But you have to have context, don't you? Because that's before Jesus and things changed when Jesus came. Everything changed, but it's all in one book. We should have two books and we'd have to say this is to the Jews. And this New Testament, we'd have to say is to the believer or the, the Gentile that uh, should be a believer. And context is everything. Do you all know? that all the things that are in trouble in the Christian world are because of context. If you find out what was said and then who it was said to, you can say that's to you and you should do it. You should be it. You should have it. But if you take something that's to somebody else, you know, a misdirected letter. Have you ever, have, have, ever had anybody that uh, you, you, you dialed your phone and you didn't know you dialed your phone? You dialed it to the last person that you talked to. And they pick up, but you don't know. It's still in your pocket. And then they start listening in. Well, you, they don't know what you're talking about. And they go, my word, my word. Are they saying that? Are they saying this? Uh, this must be because they're, they're in trouble or they need, you know, and you, it's, it's out of context. And it's rude. Did I say it was rude to listen in on somebody's conversation? Because it's not in context. But when they're looking at you or when they call your name and say, hey, Jack, thought I'd call you and ask you for the money you owe me or something like that. 
then it's in context and Jack knows what you're talking about, even though he might deny it. So because of the Old Testament being available equally as the New Testament, you go into a motel room and the Gideon Bible's in there. It's old and new. But it shouldn't be in there. It should be a New Testament in there. Because it's not speaking to the, to the, the man or woman that's, that's in the hotel room, uh, unless they're a Jew. But even then, they've got their own Bible in the Old Testament. It shouldn't be in that hotel room because that's not who God's talking to in, in the uh, New Testament. He's talking to the Old Testament. Excuse me, talking to the, to, to the Christian. He's not talking to us in the Old Testament. So we could say, we could say, I would say, that the New Testament came after the Old Testament because Jesus came. And so we would say, we would declare the last word standing is doing the commanding. But do you know how many people that you know, that I know, that just take it out of the Bible and say, well, look, it says this. If you ever listen to a critic about the Christian faith, they're always picking up some Old Testament scripture that doesn't apply in this day. It applied to the Jews. It applied to the Old Covenant. It applied before uh, our, our, there was any regenerated people. And they'll say, look, here's what your Bible says. God killed them or God judged them or whatever. And you go, well, yeah, that's in there, but it's not to you. And then you lose them completely there. But Christians ought to know the difference. I said, we ought to know the difference between who he's talking to. Now, I'm not against the Old Testament. You've probably said, heard me say that that's not where we're supposed to live. And it's not. We're not supposed to live there. We can reference it. We can get details about things that were carried forth in the New Testament. But everything that uh, is in the Old Testament does apply to us unless it was superseded. Unless God said, we don't do it that way anymore. And then, but you got to know what those are. You got to know we don't do that anymore. So if you just live out of the Old Testament, you're going to get types and shadows. You're going to get a, 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 a form, as it were, of what's to come, because that's what the Lord did for the Jews. He was always telling them about Jesus coming. He's always telling them about a new covenant, about how your sins are forgiven. But if you don't know that, well, then you could talk to somebody and condemn them. Well, you sorry skunk. But it'd be wrong. So I want to talk about the last word standing is doing the commanding. I want to, I've never visited this before like this. And I want to talk about the things that have changed so that we leave those things alone in the Old Testament and say, that's not for me. That's not for me. The Old Testament is not for me, even though I can live out of parts of it. But I have to know what was superseded, what the Lord said, we don't do it that way anymore. And what still goes. The love of God didn't change. But the intensity of it, the passion of it, the depth of it certainly did. The Old Testament man could not love God. He could say he did and he could express his emotion. But the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who's been given to us. So we can only love God to the extent that he gave us his love so we could love him back. But you can look in the Old Testament where God smacked some people, you know, and you go, well, that that's. And, and, and so people will say, critics will say. How can how can a God how can you love of God that says this about you and uh, a lot of confusion and stuff. So I want to start 
with the atonement. It's in Leviticus chapter 16. Uh, there's a lot of scripture this morning, but I'm going to go through it quickly. We're going to look at what it says about the atonement, about redeeming us from sin in the Old Testament. That's in Leviticus. That's where the pages stick together. It's in there somewhere. Leviticus chapter 16. Look what the Bible says, the B-I-B-L-E says about sin in, in chapter 16, verse 14. And it says of the priest, he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. In verse 16, it says, and he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Well, that's that's who he's talking to. Are you of the children of Israel? No. And because of their transgressions in all their sins, he should do this because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. That's what the Bible says. And if you don't know there's a context, if you don't know who he's speaking to, you would say, woe is me. I need a priest that'll go in there and put his finger in the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it for me. But then we look at uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Oh, there's another, there's another take on that very sin that we were. And in the context of this, since Jesus came, it's something different. In chapter 9, verse 11, it says, But Christ, becoming a high priest for good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of bulls and calves. So something just got superseded, didn't it? Something just got eclipsed. But by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Let's see how far we go here. Uh, verse, and if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Well, which one are you going to believe? Because there's two different things about sin here. Well, you've got to speak to context. He's speaking to the Jews. It was absolutely true to the Jews. It's still true to them. Even though no matter how much they do it, they're still dead in their trespasses and sins. But we're not. Because Jesus went in once and for all and he took care of our sins. So we would say of this scripture in Hebrews and the scripture that's in Ephesians that says, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the, it is the grace of God. You'd have to say the last word standing is doing the commanding and stay out of Leviticus. Historically, it's great. It tells us all the things that happen, but it does not instruct us about sin because we are condemned. We are dead in our trespasses if we live under Leviticus. And a lot of men do. A lot of people do. A lot of churches do. So uh, let's quit living by the old, the old word. The last word standing. This is the last word. This is the last word about sin. It'll be the final word, too. There's nothing new being added. So uh, how about for personal crime? Let me just read this one to you. For personal crime, 
So, you know, if somebody does something bad to you, what, what do you do? What, what's your recourse? In Exodus 21, verse 22, it says, He shall pay as the judges determine. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life. Listen, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So if you listen, look in the Bible, look in the B-I-B-L-E, you'll say, if someone smacks you, the Bible says you should go smack them. And if they knock your eye out, get all your buddies together, hold him down and purge his eye. If he burns you, you burn him. If he whips you, you go whip him. That's what the Bible says. And that's what people point to. But look at what it says in Matthew chapter 5. The last word standing is doing the commanded. Chapter 5 of Matthew, the Lord Jesus himself took up this issue in verse 38. He said, you have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, we just saw that, didn't we? we? We heard it said. But I say unto you, last word standing, that ye shall, that, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Uh, and he goes on and on there. That's the last word standing. So there's no more eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. As a matter of fact, I, I, uh, this uh, scripture that's in, uh, where is that? Timothy, I believe, uh, where it says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And of course, everybody's looking for God to come down and violate his word, the last word, and smack whoever smacked you. And we're waiting for it and we're excited about it. Boy, you messed with me. God's fixing to get you. But that's not what vengeance is mine, I will repay means. What does it mean? It means God will make it up to you. Whatever they took from you, messed with you, hurt you, the Lord will make it up to you. Well, that's pretty good news, actually. You might not like it when somebody smacks you that God's not going to smack them back. But if you've ever smacked somebody, you might, this might be better news. The Lord will repay them for what you took away from them. And we all have. We've all messed up. We've all offended somebody. We've all hurt somebody. We've all taken advantage of somebody. And aren't you glad the Lord's not condoning or even accelerating judgment against us? Hallelujah. Uh, this is the one I'm really like to talk about. It's uh, worship. Did worship change from the Old Testament to the New? I can tell you in almost all Protestant churches, they have not changed the worship from the Old Testament. And so what would feel real good after a worship service that's based totally on the Old Testament, and people feel so good, their emotions are up here and they've entered in and they've sang, which, you know, singing is not necessarily something God likes, or that, that we like to do to God, we do it in the shower. And we're hurting the very tile that is around us. The, the tile is shaking in the wall. And, uh, and we say that, wasn't that wonderful? No, it wasn't that wonderful. So in Isaiah, verse 27, what does it say? What does the Bible say? It says, it shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet shall be blown 
and they, let's skip some parts, and they shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. That's how the Bible says that you ought to worship, is you ought to giddy up and get on El Al lines and go to, go to Jerusalem, and that's where you can worship God. But the New Testament, turn with me to John chapter 4, please. Now, I know you know all these things, but we're going to put them in context and we're going to put them straight so we don't cross that line anymore. It's not that God's mad at anybody for crossing this line. It's just that it doesn't do any good. We wear ourselves out worshiping in a way that Lord is totally uninterested in. If you believe that, say amen. <laughs> uh, this is a touchy one. But I don't mind if it's touchy. I, the truth sets us free. And I want the truth because I want to be free. So he said there that you shall uh, give thanks, excuse me, that you should worship the holy, at the holy mount at Jerusalem. But the, but the Lord said, let's verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, talking about Jerusalem, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. That's what they said. So Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh. What hour is that? That he would be resurrected from the dead, that he would give his life. He would usher in a new covenant, a new covenant, better covenant, better promises, enforced by better blood. He said, the hour cometh when ye shall neither worship in this mountain, nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. And then he, he goes on and explains it. Ye worship, ye know not what. We worship, for, for, and we know that we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, look, look, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh, seeketh. He's looking for to be pleased those that worship him in spirit and in truth. Oh, that's, that's not very definitive. That's not very detailed. That's not very defined. I'll just go to Jerusalem and worship him in spirit. It can't be done. I mean, it can't be done to say that's, that we have to go to Jerusalem. The last word standing is doing the commanding. So what he's saying here, he says, worship in spirit. Could they worship in the spirit in the Old Testament? No. I've heard it. I heard it this last week. Uh, uh, about how David danced before the Lord with all his might and that it embarrassed his wife and that it embarrassed people and, and he was the greatest worshiper that ever has been. No, he was worshiping in the flesh. His emotions were there and he had a true heart for God and he was carrying it out the only way that he could, which was to get the tambourine out, get the harp out, get the whatever, to tool up the orchestra and then Dance before the Lord with all your might. And in the Old Testament, he is the benchmark. But we're not in that word. It's out of context for you and I. I used to have bruises on my right thigh when we first started out in Seminole from playing the tambourine so hard. I mean, we sang the Jewish songs. We, I will dance as David danced. That's what we sang. I will sing before the Lord and I will dance as David danced. He said, you got to worship in spirit. Well, why is that? Well, God's always been a spirit. 
But he always gave them an outlet through the tambourine and through the singing and all that to express themselves emotionally, soulishly. But he said, now that the new birth is coming, you've been regenerated. You've been refathered from above. He said, that won't get it. That's a lower and inferior form of so-called worship. Well, what's the church doing? Well, we're singing songs that are Old Testament. We're singing God where we're asking God to do things. We're actually doing, asking God to, uh, to send things or to, to, in, to uh, uh, release things into us that he's already released. He's already done. Most of our songs in the, in the church are spectator uh, uh, songs. I, I've watched it and watched it and watched it. Nobody's praising God. Hardly anybody, I should say. But they're watching the show. They're being entertained. And, and it's great entertainment. We like the venue. We like the words, singing unto the Lord. But we're watching them dance and twirl their twirls. And the lights come on. We went to a, a church recently uh, uh, and uh, got to see it in action. Got to, it was a charismatic church and got to see their, the red lights bobbed here and the blue lights bobbed there and the, and the, the lights went around in a circle and then they had, uh, they had sound things that were going on. It was quite the show. And I waited for the spirit and truth and it never came. And uh, when I was traveling years ago, we went to a church in Vicksburg and I was the speaker uh, in, in, at, at uh, a church in Vicksburg and uh, they got up to do the worship first. I was on the stage. And those people wore themselves flat out. There was 45 minutes of ultra calisthenics. I mean, they all weighed nothing after they got through. I, I still was fat and sassy because I didn't do all that. But they wore themselves out. The, 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 the people that were on the stage were sweating under the lights. The musicians had, you know twirled and batoned and whatever else they did. It was, it was quite a spectacle. Didn't do a thing for the service. You would expect that that sort of thing would give you an atmosphere, give you an environment. Didn't do a thing. You know, everybody was real pleased because they had carried it out. They'd all dressed the same and they'd carried it out with, uh, uh, in synchrony, they had been orchestrated together. They were choreographed, that's the word. And they were doing their due. And it was quite the show. And for a show, it was, it was very nice. But I can tell you, the Lord didn't get a thing out of it. Well, now if you count E for effort, that everybody really gave their heart. But you could drink the blood, you could have the blood of bulls and goats put on you with all your heart and go straight to hell. So a lot of the songs that I find, which we, we oppose or we resist or we try to go the other way, is songs that are not in spirit and truth. It's talking about I will. A lot of the songs, you hadn't heard them here, but they're songs about I will do this and I will do that. Well, that's like your child come up to you. You've warned them all week long. You will take the trash out by Thursday. And you catch them on Wednesday and said, trash is stinking. I will, I will, I will. Well, it doesn't do anything for anybody. It's just a, a, a promise or a, a, an endeavor. But I will praise you. Doesn't do a thing for the Lord. 
We have to be real careful here even to say, I will. Because I will worship you sounds really good. But nothing happens until we worship him. I will worship you. I will praise you. I will enjoy you. I will this. Doesn't do a thing. We're in a faith realm now. Everything is calling things that be not. So I will means nothing. Oh, I know y'all aren't going to like this. I know this is not what makes people happy. And you can't preach this hardly anywhere. But it's the truth. You go, why is God so picky? Because he wants you to say to the mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast of sea, and not doubt in your heart, but believe those things which you sayest shall come to pass. So that very thing there tells us that when we sing, we have to believe those things which we sayeth come to pass. So we don't do those I will songs. Uh, what we do is, is uh, we endeavor to, and it's kind of hard to find songs that are pure, so we change the words in some. Some still need to be changed. Uh, even in the song that uh, we just sang, uh, uh, what was the song? Astounding? No. Awesome. awesome. Yes, thank you. How could I forget that? Well, you know, that's, that's good, but then we sing some other things in there about he will do this and he will do that. Well, actually, that's in our authority to do this and do that. And so they're not pure. We're just, we're having to transpose. And when we sing, you're mighty, you're holy. I mean, uh, he is holy. He is mighty. That's not it. We have to say you are. I'm worshiping you. So I say you are holy. You are mighty. You are awesome. I don't say he is. Because I could talk about the devil and not worship him and just say he is mean. He's evil. He's whatever. So just describing somebody isn't it. It's telling them about you. You're holy. You're holy. Instead of he's holy. Y'all catch that little detail, that little bitty thing there? So it's when you have a heart to worship in spirit and in truth, you start looking about really pleasing God with our worship and our praise. So when we praise him, we are telling him about things he has done. He likes that. Yeah. Praise is telling him about things he has done. You have saved me. You have delivered me. I'm grateful. I'm blessed. But worship is another level or another realm we usually don't start out with that. We usually start out with something that's energetic so we can praise him. The reason we do that is not for the Lord so much, although it, it, it can be very good. But we do that actually as a natural mechanism in our own lives to get our get the world off of us, yeah. especially if you come in on Wednesday and you've had old Billy with everybody all day and you come in and you're you know, you might feel like you're in a frump and you don't you know, what is this? And I'm tired. And so we sing something. That praises him. I remind about what you've done and how, how, how good it was for you to save me. And we get that old thing of I can't and I won't and, and it's hard off of us. And so then we can receive the word. We, we prepare a place for him, for the word. But on Sunday, we do three or four songs, usually three. And, uh, and you know, you've heard my premise that, that worship is so special. It's so holy. It's so right that you just can't put it on like a birthday party. Yeah, we're going to Jeannie's birthday party this afternoon. Well, okay, so you go in there and you sing happy birthday and you give her the presents and all that sort of stuff. Worship is so special, it's so holy that it has to be done right or it didn't get done at all. It's not close enough. You can't put a Ford alternator on a GMC. It's a generator, it's an alternator, it's a whatever, but it's not gonna fit. 
And so we go in there and we worship him and we declare who he is. Worship says, here's who you are. Now, he likes that. Matter of fact, right now, all the time, he has angels that go around him that sing unto him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And you, you think, well, they need to get a new verse. They just crank up the same verse again and again and again. And they've been doing that since forever. And they're going to do that for forever. The Lord likes it. We ought to pay attention to what he likes versus what we like. If we're really trying to please him. Now, we're just trying to lather up and trying to get ourselves sparky and, and sing some lyrics and some tunes. Very, very, uh, the songs and the lyrics and the, and the what do you call that? The, the song, the melody, whatever that is. We, we like that. We like that. We sing along with secular music because we like that. So you can bring it into church and you can just change the words. And you don't ever know if anybody's really worshiping because we like that. We like that in the shower. We like that down the road. So we have to be pretty particular. I say that if you don't know how to worship at home, that you can't turn it on at church. Now, we can go through the motions but that doesn't make it right. You can give in the offering and have a hardened heart and nothing happened. But you were separated for your money. You understand? Yes. Tithing is very specific. It's very heart driven. And, and when you do it right, it changes everything. Tithing changes everything in front of you. But you can just be separated from your money and it doesn't change anything. Same thing with worship. So that changed. We can't worship like they did in the Old Testament. Now, if you get in the spirit, so to speak, you're worshiping in spirit and truth and you start dancing, you start running. Now, that's of God. It's a response, though, to the spirit. Your body, your soul catches fire because you're on fire on the inside. And so you catch fire. So it's like, ah, he's running. That's the flesh. Well, it could be. How many of y'all have ever don't answer, don't raise your hand, ever fallen out under the power and you didn't feel the thing? You just looked around and everybody else was falling. This is back in the day. And so you sat down. I've seen a bunch of them just sit down like, do I lay down now or whatever? When it happens, it has happened and you don't have any control. So we can, we can improvise a lot of things. But here he said, uh, 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 in Hebrews 13, 15, here's another verse. It says, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So praise and worship is our words. Words from down here. Words that you have identified with the, 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 the father of grace, the father of glory, the father of the father. That, that he loves us and we are responding to that saying, you are good, you are great, you are awesome. And, and, and it comes out of your heart. Kind of picky? Well, it's because worship, like the tithe, is so powerful that when you touch it, it's so easy if you know how and if you're willing. But when you touch it, you go in. But if you don't do it out of the heart, you just do it by form, by words on the screen by a catchy melody. You dance around it all the way, but nothing ever happened. Now you can come out of there saying, boy, did we worship good this morning? Well, it's an individual experience. Right. You can go to the store in your car. You can 
hotwire the car of the neighbor next door and go to the store and that, it doesn't really matter. But if you get to the store, it doesn't matter. Well, the same thing with worship. We have to touch it. And we should. But to have, to have long things of singing might not, might or might not be worship. Or you may have just got to the store a different way. But it doesn't really change anything. Real touchy. Because everybody likes their music. Uh, there's some songs that we sing that are a little borderline. We, we started singing There Is a River. Well, if you take the words out of that and really look at them, a lot of them don't mean what we need to mean. But there's other things that are in there that you can get your heart around, that you can get your faith in. And so we just stay there. We just say, well, it's got to be so pure. The song we sang this morning about, uh, that was a cappello. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Well, I'm telling you, you'll go somewhere in that song if you'll attach to it. Songs that have the name of Jesus in them. The Lord likes those. The songs that have the blood of Jesus in them. The Lord likes those. They're not popular. Victory in Jesus is not a top 100 song except in heaven and it's way up there in heaven so the word says here a sacrifice of praise so that means it might not be catchy it might not be in your genre of singing it might not be but the words a sacrifice of praise the fruit of our lips giving thanks now if we did that then the Lord would let light the fire onto the to the atmosphere here and we would all feel it if we would go there in faith. In other words, not necessarily singing the catchy and the, and, the, and the whatever, but go there by faith and just sing what's right. And then everything that we would thought we gave up by singing the, the latest tune, the latest hill song, it would attach itself to victory in Jesus. Isn't that how everything else works? You, you, you do it by faith and then the feelings come. The feelings are attached to that. So we're not asking God for anything in our praise. That's all about me. If I'm asking him for something in my praise, it's not praise. Call it, call it something else. Call it a, a sing-along to faith or your prayer request, but it's not praise. It's not worship. It's something else. And it's, it's still good, but it's just not, some, it's just not that. Let's, let's go on here. <laughs> Whew, got through that. Hallelujah. Yeah, let's talk about the dietary law. Oh, my. The dietary law. Let me read it to you out of Leviticus 11. Don't turn there. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, and the swine, though he divide the hoof and be cloven footed, yet he cheweth not the cud. He is unclean to you. He is unclean to you. So the Bible says that the swine is unclean to you. These shall ye eat of all that are in the waters. Whatsoever hath fins and scales in the waters, them shall ye eat. And all that have no fins and scales in the seas and in the rivers and in the move in the waters and of any living thing which is in the waters, they shall be an abomination to you. That's called shellfish. Uh, you can't eat catfish and be kosher because it doesn't have scales. You can't eat oysters. Well, there's a reason for all that because there was trichinosis back then. You'd think the Lord would just deal with the trichinosis and just make hogs 
where they didn't have any danger. But he didn't. It's in the earth. So he told the Jews, don't get worms, don't eat the pork. And so that was their, that was their, their abomination. He said, don't eat shellfish. You can get uh, salmonella real easy from shellfish, I understand. And so the Lord had a reason for that, but he didn't tell them the reason. He just said, don't do it. But it's in the Bible. So you have people today that won't eat certain things, pork or whatever, shellfish, because they say, not directly, but they'll say, but it's in the Bible. But let me read you in Acts chapter 15. Turn there if you want to. Acts chapter 15. The last word standing is doing the commanding. That's where the amen goes. Thank you, Garland. Acts chapter 15, verse, verse 20. Let's find out what the word says about today. Now, if you don't want to eat pork, it doesn't matter. Don't eat it. But don't be condemned or don't be judgmental by somebody next to you. Said, I'll have another slice of ham, please. And could you bring some bacon with that? And, uh, you know, you just, just don't condemn them because you have a personal thing. It says in chapter 15, verse 20, but, but that, that we write unto you that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. I wrote it down uh, in another version. It says, abstain from food sacrificed to idols. So y'all going to have to quit that, y'all. From blood. So he said, don't, eat, don't drink the blood because the life is in the blood. And he said, from meat of strangled animals. So he's talking about the blood there. It's an abomination. In another place, it told them, do not boil a kid's, do not boil a, 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 a kid in its mother's milk. He said, that's just wrong to take a lamb's baby, milker or goat, whatever it is that you milk, and then chop up the kid and put it in that milk. He said, don't do that. That's just, that's just not right. But in 1 Timothy this is where we really get our straightening out. Here's the last word standing. First Timothy. Where are you, Timothy? First Timothy chapter four. Let's see. Verse one. Here we go. Now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Look what, they, what he says about them. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devils. Well, what's that mean? Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And then he details it, forbidding to marry. Well, now in our day today, he's speaking to the Catholics who will not let their priests or have not let them marry. He calls that a doctrine of devils. In other words, men, man is forbidding something that God didn't forbid. Uh, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received. Here's how we receive meats. With thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Verse 4, for every creature of God, say every. Every, every creature of God. Now, we're going to find out that all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. If you don't want to eat bacon, it just bothers you. It's fine. 
but God don't care. If you want to eat uh, bonbons all day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, the Lord don't care, but it's probably going to make you hurt after supper. So let's go on here. And every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving for it, talking about the meats, is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. That's why we pray over our food. We sanctify it. Sanctified means to separate. We separate it from things that are unlawful with our faith by prayer. So we're not, we're not, when we, when we, when we pray over our food, we're not thanking God for it. Although that's always handy to put that in there. But what the word says is we're sanctifying it by the word of God in prayer. So we declare the Old Testament says he blesses our food and water. So you can say it that way. I, I, I bless this food and this water and you can bless it. And something happens there where it was poison. It was hard. It was. I, I pray it's good for me now and forever. There'll be no residual thing that'll come up tomorrow or the next day. And no trichinosis and no whatever salmonella. I just pray that, but it's real easy. It's real simple. And you don't have to go on and on. And you don't have to include the little children in China. <laughs> you don't have to pray for, I thank you for who we're with today and fellowship and the hands, hands that preserve, uh, prepared it and all that. You do what you want, but the word just says Thanksgiving and, and uh, what, what did it say? Thanksgiving and prayer. Sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So we pray over it. And if you're in faith, you don't have to go long. The shorter the prayer, the more faith you got in it and you can take care of it. So that is that's what we do. With our diet. But like I said, all things are awful, but not all things are profitable. It's not good for me to go on a roller coaster. The Lord doesn't care, but I don't I don't want one. I don't do roller coasters. I hadn't done one since I was little and it was all I wanted. I don't wire. I don't wire electricity much. It's, it's, it's lawful, but it's not profitable for me. So uh, anyway. So the last word standing is doing the commanding. Don't be condemned if you eat pork. Do not. I wouldn't eat an oyster for anything, but, but it's OK with the Lord. OK, let's talk about tithing. Y'all want to talk about tithing? OK, let's turn to you don't have to. But in Malachi chapter three, I'm going to try to I need to wrap this up this morning. Or this afternoon, however it goes. Chapter 3, in verse 10. This is real controversial. Just like, well, all of these are. The worship is controversial. The dietary is controversial. Uh, it, with men. It says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. What he's talking about there literally is twofold. He said, bring the tithe, the cattle, the bullock, the, the lamb, the, the, all these things. Because the priesthood does not have jobs. They didn't get land. The tribal Levite didn't get a section of land and they don't have jobs. Well, how are we going to feed them for taking care of the temple, the tabernacle? Well, we're going to bring our tithe in there and there'll be meat in mine house. He said, everybody bring a tenth and we'll feed the Levites. So it was practical too. And uh, that there may be meat in mine house. Then he goes on, he said, and prove me now herewith, say the Lord host, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, you know, I'm not going to get up here and say this has passed away. This has been superseded. I'm going to turn you to uh, 
Hebrews chapter 7. I'll go there. You just look at it. So everything that's not been superseded in the Old Testament, listen to me. If it's not been changed or superseded in the new, then it stands. If it says don't don't hit your kids or don't don't lie in the Old Testament and the Lord doesn't change it and say you can lie now. If he doesn't say that, then it still stands. And so you can go into the Bible and you can look through the whole New Testament. If it doesn't doesn't mention stealing or lying, then you go to the old and say, well, that's what it says. Don't do it. Now, there'll be some penalties sometimes. They'll stone you if you do this or that and the other. And we don't do that anymore, do we? Uh, chapter 7, he said in verse 7, and without all contradiction, without any dispute, the less is blessed of the better. Well, that's, that's Old Testament too. It goes on. And here men that die receive tithes. Oh, he mentioned the tithe in the New Testament. Hebrews, matter of fact. And men that die, so mortal men, regular men, you and me men, receive tithes. So we receive tithes this morning. But everybody that received tithes is going to die if we're not raptured out. Is that right? So here he affirms something that's in the Old Testament. And people say, well, that's the law. It passed away. We don't tithe anymore. Well, you'll still go to heaven if you don't tithe. That's the only way a lot of people are going to get there. But there he receiveth them whom in his witnesses that he liveth. Well, so just that it's mentioned there in a positive form that we still receive tithes in the New Testament. Well, the reason we do that is because it's worship. Uh, in Matthew 18, eight, but oh, excuse me, back there to, to uh, Malachi, he goes on then after he says there shall not be room enough to receive it. He said, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Ooh, what's that mean? Well, that's been superseded. He said, whatever I bind on, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth. So it's not like what well, God says, like he did in the Old Testament. He said, I'll take care of everything. You bring your tithe and I'll just take care of everything. Because they were children. They had no authority. They were, they were children in the kingdom in that they, they had no Holy Spirit. They had no authority. They had no name of Jesus. So he had to just take care of them. And the way he took care of them is if you kept the law, he'd take care of you. If you spurn the law, you were a renegade, you're on your own. But now, he said, that thing is passed into the new covenant. So I have to bind on earth. I still tithe. Why? Because it's lordship. It's lordship. It doesn't do a thing for heaven. Matter of fact, we never, I'll tell you all secret, we never send God anything. We take up the offering here and Regents Bank gets it all. And then we have a thing called a checkbook and we spend it all. God doesn't get anything. So the transaction happens when we tithe. Not in what we actually tithe into. When we tithe, the transaction happens and it's lordship. And we can go into a long teaching about that that confirms it. But uh, the tithe is reinstated in the new covenant. And then he gave us a new authority. Instead of him having to rebuke the devourer, he said, now you bind it, you loose it, you take authority over it. Amen. My last one is giving offerings. I looked up because I didn't know there's five types of offerings in the Old Testament. 
You'll be glad to know that we've been redeemed from all of them. The guilt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the, and the guilt offering. Burnt grain, peace, sin, guilt. And uh, in Exodus 29, he talks about this. Uh, he talks about the, uh, let's see which one this one is. A wave offering. Oh, I didn't even put that one in. One loaf of bread, one cake of oiled bread, and one wafer out of the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And thou shalt put all in the hands of Aaron and his sons and shalt wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. Aren't y'all glad? We've been redeemed to that. And Leviticus talks about, uh, this one's interesting. It said, if a soul swear, pronouncing with his lips to do evil or to do good. He said, no swearing, good swearing, bad swearing. And whatever it be that that man shall pronounce with an oath, he shall be guilty of one of these. And he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord for his sin, which he hath sinned. A female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of the goats for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for him concerning that. How come you're not doing that? That is in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Well, we, we don't do that because 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, chapter 9. I wrote Barry a long list of scripture this morning. I'm sure he said he'll never get to all those. Second Corinthians chapter nine. What about offerings? Because back then, if you did bad things, you had to bring an offering. In other words, you had to acknowledge your sin. You couldn't just curse somebody with an oath and just walk away from it because they had no power to confess their sins. He's faithful and just to forgive them and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The way they were cleansed was bringing their offering to Aaron. And Aaron would wave it or, or dip his finger in it. And it says in, in, he said in verse, uh, uh, verse 7, Every man, according as he has purposed his heart, so let him give. So this is the last word standing, isn't it? Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And then he attach a reward to it. The reward in the Old Testament was you were released from your sin, your trespass, your oath. But here he said, oh, you've already been released from that. So let's throw this in there. God is able to make all grace abound towards you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound every good work. That's better. Y'all, that's better than bringing a bunch of grain to the high priest and saying, wave these over me so I can get free. It's just good all over. It's the last word standing is doing the commanding. So we have to change a few things, but by and large, if he didn't change them, we don't change them. We still don't kill. Thou shalt not murder. That's, that didn't get changed. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. That didn't get changed. So we're still on track for that. Don't steal. That's, that didn't ever get turned over. Matter of fact, in Ephesians one time, he talked to the church at Ephesus and says, you that stole, steal no more. The church, he's telling the church that you, you are naughty. Don't do it anymore. So let's just cap this up and I'll, I'll finish with this. Number one with the sin. Jesus dealt with the sin problem. Yes. There, there's nothing. He already dealt with it. He took it to the cross. He dealt with it. And so we listen we should quit atoning for our sin. If you feel guilty or ashamed or condemned after you sin, you are living under the old covenant. You are under the atonement and the atonement covered sin. 
but the new covenant washes it away. So quit atoning for it. Lord, if, if, if you'll get me out of this spot, I promise to do this and that for you. That's atonement. That is Old Testament. He is not moved by that, not one iota. He is moved by the blood of Jesus. That's already been shed. So he's moved. He's already moved. He's not like, would you do this? There's no would you to, to the kingdom. He's already done it. Number two was the, uh, uh, that's where I quoted that scripture, vengeance is mine. It's the uh, crimes. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Uh, judgment was laid on Jesus. So when they do bad things to you, just walk away. The Lord will take care of you because he's just and he'll deal with them with conviction, drawing them, that sort of thing. Um, uh, worship, the flesh cannot worship in the spirit. Now, we just need to remember that. If you don't feel it in your flesh, doesn't mean that you can't worship him in spirit. You don't have to feel anything. Oh, the anointing's really here. That's all emotion. Now, there can come a presence in when everybody gets in. And I don't know really how that works, but I know it does work. But it always happens when we're truly worshiping him. You are holy. You're the most high. You're the king of my life. Your blood has saved me. Victory in Jesus. That's when that comes. It doesn't, it doesn't come from singing the latest and the greatest. We like those, but that doesn't really turn him on. Number four the dietary, we can just say this, all things are lawful to eat, but you have to make your call whether you can eat them. He wants us to get free from allergies, but until then, don't eat it. Don't drink it. Number five, tithing. Tithing is lordship. Don't get, don't get real wrapped up about do you have to. If any time you say, do I have to, you're out of lordship. You're just not there. It's like, ah, what can I get by with? Oh, you can get by with everything. You'll go to heaven, not tithing, not one wit, not bit. But you won't have a great life here because Jesus is Lord, makes everything work out. And, uh, and then the offerings, they're given by faith. Your pleasure. If you have pleasure in giving offerings, you ought to get in. You ought to exhaust your life with offerings. Because it opens doors that couldn't otherwise. So the New Testament, I said, New Testament is the last word standing. And it's doing the commanding. So I know you didn't get real free this morning. You knew all this. But we should say it. We should say it. We should say it so everybody can hear it and get those things indexed in our life saying, that's what I thought. I just didn't know why or where. But that's what I thought. And be free. The truth sets us free. The truth that we know sets us free. And so sacrificing doesn't please God and doesn't set you free. The sacrifice that we make is to keep ourselves in faith. We deny ourselves things that, that lead us to things that aren't in faith. So that's our sacrifice. That's, that's what the word says in Corinthians about uh, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's not spiritual warfare. That's, that's living by faith. Knowing that your emotions have power. Your soul has power. And just nullifying, uh, uh, taking authority over those things that have power against yourself. Amen. Isn't Jesus wonderful? 
Let's just, let's stand up and lift our hands just a moment and then we'll sing and go. Lord, we just love you. We thank you that you have so liberated us.